0: Amen. That's right. That's what I like to hear. I am excited to be here today, and I'm excited to share a word with you. Um, today, I'm going to share with you uh, about spiritual warfare. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, as I go through, I'm going to be going to a lot of different um, scriptures and referencing a lot of stuff. But The basis, the foundation is really going to be in Ephesians 6. And so I want to start there. And uh, if you're taking notes, I'm going to have three main points today. Uh, The first point is recognize. The second point is prepare. And the third point is persevere. So if you have your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the world's rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take to yourselves the whole armor of God, That you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand. Therefore, stand, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching to this very thing with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And pray for me that utterance may be given to me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, spiritual warfare is something that is very important. And I feel like it's something that we don't hear or talk about enough. You know, this is something that we deal with day in and day out. Every day of our lives, We, whether we know it or not, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. And yet, how often are we talking about it? Now, I'm not sure why we don't want to talk about it more. I'm not sure if it's fear, our doubt, our uncertainty, because, you know... We don't fully understand what's going on in the spirit world. We only get glimpses of it from God's Word. But it is so important that we address it. And I feel like we love to take care of our physical needs and not so much our spiritual needs. We love to talk to our kids about how they're doing in school and, you know, what your grades are and are you studying for that test. But are we engaging them on How are you doing with your spiritual maturity? How's your relationship with God? Are you going through any trials? Do you feel like the devil's attacking you? Do we talk to our children like that? I don't know if we do. If we don't, we should. Because just like adults are going through spiritual battles, children are going through spiritual battles as well. The devil is no respecter of age. He's no respecter of person. He'll attack everybody. Um, So as I was saying, I have three points. The first point... Is recognized. We have to recognize spiritual warfare. We have to recognize what it is. So what is it? It's not just um, a metaphor for a moral struggle. It's not something that is just made up and it's a nice way of thinking about things. It's something that is real and is ongoing. I really enjoy what Billy Graham says about it. He explained the reality of spiritual warfare in his book, Angels. He says we live in a perpetual battlefield. The wars among the nations on earth are mere pop-gun affairs. Compared to the fierceness of battle in the spiritual unseen world, this invisible spiritual conflict is waged around us incessantly and unremittingly. Where the Lord works, Satan's forces hinder. Where angel Beings carry out divine directions, the devils rage. All this comes about because the powers of darkness press their counterattack to recapture the ground held for the glory of God. Since the fall of Lucifer, the angel of light and son of the morning, there has been no respite in the battle of the ages. Night and day, Lucifer, the master craftsman, of the devices of darkness, labors to thwart God's plan of the ages. We can find inscribed on every page of human history the consequences of the evil brought to fruition by the power of darkness with the devil in charge. Satan never yields an inch, nor does he ever pause in his opposition to the plan of God to redeem the cosmos from his control. The plan of God... To redeem the world. Satan never pauses. Never sleeps. Never takes a break. He is constantly at war against God. So recognize that what spiritual warfare is. It's Satan's attempt to thwart God's plan for each and every one of our lives. And for the lives of those around us. So we must recognize that. Now, how do we know that spiritual realm exists, that the devil exists? How do we know whether or not it involves us, whether or not we have anything to do with it, or if it's just in God's hands? Well, the way we know is God's word. Because we stand on God's word, it is his revelation to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 4, it says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. Nor the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Ephesians 6.12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the Bible tells us, that we're at war, and we're at war with the spiritual realm. And I find it so interesting that so many believers walk around, not as if they're in a war zone, but as if they're like on vacation. You know, they believe in God. They come to church every Sunday. You know, they pay their tithe. They'll even read their Bible some. But the rest of the time, they're just whatever they want to do. You know, if it's you know makes them happy, they want to watch television instead of you know, reading the Bible, they'll do that. If they want to, um, you know, try and get a bigger house rather than, you know, give more to missions, they'll do that. They never stop and think, well, what does God want me to do with this? What does God want me to do uh, with my time? What does God want me to do with my money? That's not their first inclination. The first inclination is what do I want to do with it? And what I believe is going on is that as Christians, we have become complacent. With this world that we 're in, we have become complacent in sin we don 't recognize the fact that we 're in a war zone Now, this recalls to me a true story that I know of of a soldier who was guarding a gate in Iraq Now, in Iraq, when I was there, they always warned us about complacency, and they had signs everywhere. Um, you walked into the chow hall big sign. On the ceiling. You walked outside the gate to go on your patrol. They had a sign there. It said complacency kills. They were always telling you that. Complacency kills. Complacency kills. And we had this illustrated to us. Um, with this story. There was a soldier who was guarding the gate. And he would probably been guarding this gate. For months and months. And he would probably be out there. For 8-10 hours a day guarding this gate, walking back and forth, you know, just like this, looking to see if anybody was coming. And cars would come, and he would stop them, and he'd go and check them. He wouldn't see anything. He'd let them in. You know, he was doing his job, and he would get tired, and he would be out in the heat, and he just wanted to be done with it. He was tired of having to be there. He was worn down. He became complacent because nothing ever happened. And so one day, he's guarding his gate, and he's just trying to get through. He's just kind of slouching down. He's holding his rifle down to his side like it's no big deal. He's just trying to get through his shift so he can get off and go maybe get a shower, something to eat, go to bed. You know, not really caring, going through the motions. And when you're guarding a gate over there, there are certain rules that have to be followed. There are lines drawn where vehicles must stop before they approach. You're supposed to be able to identify if there's any threat before you allow them in. And if they don't obey the rules, there are certain things that the soldier is supposed to do automatically. There are rules of engagement that he follows, and those are set in place to protect him. Well, on this day, this soldier, he wasn't worrying with any of that. This car started coming. You know, he kind of told it to stop. It didn't stop. It kept going past the line. He didn't do anything about it. He starts walking towards it. It slows down. He's thinking nothing of it. He goes towards the car, and as he approaches it, the vehicle explodes, and it takes his life. Now, that's a sober thought, and initially you think about the tragedy of losing that life. But as a soldier, we also had to recognize that it wasn't just his life on the line. His complacency could have very well cost somebody else's life. He was endangering the lives of his brothers and sisters in arms. And it is a tragedy. But it's also a danger. Of what he was doing. Spiritual warfare is like that. And there's not just lives on the line. But there's souls on the line. That will spend an eternity. Either in heaven or in hell. And if we become complacent. If we don't recognize that we're in a war zone. We could very well either cost us ourself. Or cost somebody who sees us their very soul. So it's not something to be entered in casually. It's not something to just blow off. We have to recognize it. Now, I know that that's sobering and that's a hard thing to hear about. But at the same time, there's good news because we know from God's word what happens in the end. We know that God has victory. That no matter what happens... In the end, Satan's defeated, the enemy is defeated, his devils are defeated, the followers of God have victory through Christ Jesus, and we will all go to heaven, those who have believed and accepted Jesus. That is great news. That is why the gospel is called good news. We have the blessed hope. We have a hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, that's amazing. Amen? Amen. I'm excited about that, and I'm excited to get to share that with people. So we have the victory. But if we have the victory, why then do we have to fight spiritual battles? Because we see our fellow believers, right? We see them going through struggles. We see um, people who suffer addiction and they pray and they're not relieved. We see people who we love, who aren't saved, and we pray for them, and we pray for them, and pray for them. Why do we have to go through battles? Why can't everything just be done? Why can't the enemy just give up if he knows he's going to lose in the end? Why must we fight these battles? Well, I'm somebody who is very interested in history, and especially, you know, uh, history about the American military and everything. And so, part of the answer, I think, can be found in an event that happened in World War II at the Battle of Berlin. You see, um, towards the end of the war in 1945, the Russians broke the German front. The Nazis were in full retreat and America, as well as the Russians, were on a line straight for Berlin to get rid of the enemy, to overthrow the Nazi government and to end the war in Europe. Now, There was no hope that the Nazis were going to be able to turn this around. There was no hope that they were going to be able to defeat these forces who were moving against them. And yet they continued to fight them every step of the way to Berlin. And then when they get to Berlin, it is April 20th, when the Allied forces get to Berlin and surround the city and lay siege to the city. And it's not until... May 2nd, that finally the city falls because the Nazis had continued to fight and to fight. And even after um, Berlin falls in the Battle of Berlin, there are still battles being waged in different places in Europe by the Nazis. Now, why? What did they hope to win by keeping on fighting, continuing the fight? They didn't want to win anything. They recognized that they were in defeat. Their only desire was to cause as much pain as much sorrow, to kill as many lives, to wound as many people as they could, to make the cost of the victory for their enemy as high as they could. That's exactly what the devil is doing. He recognizes that he's not going to win. That when the Lord comes back, uh, he's going to be defeated, Satan's going to be cast into the fiery pit, and it's going to be over. He knows he can't do anything about that. But he wants to take as many of us with him as he can. He wants to take you, he wants to take me, he wants to take our kids, he wants to take our friends and our family down to the pit with him. And it's only through spiritual warfare are we going to be able to stand against the enemy. Amen? <clears throat> Revelations 12:10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. There it is right there. That is the blessed hope that we will spend eternity with Christ and that the enemy will be defeated. Now, we recognize that there's spiritual warfare, but we also need to recognize that there's different types of spiritual warfare. Most Christians will recognize the fact that there is internal warfare. For you, uh, probably with the day you got saved, you were sitting in a pew or uh, sitting somewhere or standing somewhere and you were hearing somebody preach the gospel and you felt inside a conviction, a desire to get right with God. You felt that God was saying you're a sinner and that you need to repent and you felt the Holy Spirit moving on you in there. But the enemy was moving against you as well. The enemy was saying, no, not now. Don't go down to that altar yet. Don't listen to this conviction just yet. Go live your life the way you want to. They're going to make you give up all these things. And inside of us, each and every one of us who are Christians had to decide that we would choose God and not give in to the enemy. That was a victory of spiritual warfare. That was the first victory we had when we chose God over the devil and accepted him as our savior. And that's a great thing, amen? I mean, I'll never forget the day when I first went down to the altar, and I had butterflies in my stomach. I was fearful. I was confused. But I went down, and I accepted Christ, and then I had peace. And from that day to this, I have known that God is with me. And that's amazing. Now, those eternal, internal battles are not going to end there. If you've been saved for many years or if you've been saved for just a few weeks, you know that the enemy is going to continue to bring battles inside of you. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may do, not do the things that you please. Inside in each and every one of us, we have flesh. We have corruption. We have that original sin that taints our hearts and taints our desires. Each and every one of us wants wicked things. But because we have accepted Christ, we also have a desire for God and a desire for the things that are good. And those things are at war with each other. And they're going to continue to war with each other. And we're going to fail sometimes. And we bring that before God. We ask for forgiveness. And we continue on. But it's important to remember that it's always going to be a continuous battle against that flesh. And if we ever get complacent. If we ever just forget about it and continue on. That's when our flesh is going to get the better of us. And it's just those small steps that can take you down the wrong path. And cause so much destruction but it 's not just internal um, conflict there 's also external spiritual warfare. in fact it 's going on all around us. The Bible says in First John 5:19, "The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one." That means that everything that 's not of God is under the influence of the devil. That means movies, that means television, that means music, that means the leadership, that means your boss at work, if he's not saved, that means, you know, every aspect of our lives is corrupted by the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that we should all just go into a monastery and live lives of poverty and give up everything. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we need to recognize the influence of the enemy, We need to recognize that he plants seeds everywhere, hoping that they're going to grow and sprout. And it's going to be true for our children too. Our children at school, the devil's going to be trying to plant those seeds. Our children at the video games they play. He's going to try and plant those seeds. I mean, we see it even in our government. When our government starts embracing ideas about abortion and gay marriage and turning their back on God's word and preventing people from having God's word in the classroom, they're turning their back, and that's the sway of the enemy. That's a spiritual battle that's going on. Even at work, you may do something and you may try and cover it up and say, I'm just going to lie to my boss about this one little thing because I don't want to get in trouble. I need this job. That's a spiritual battle. The, the enemy is tempting you to lie to get you to take a step down the wrong path. It may be a party with friends. Oh, I'm just going to take one little drink just because it's social. I'm not, I don't drink a lot. Just These are little openings that the enemy uses to get in. Things we don't even think about. Getting mad at a red light. Through these little sins that we think don't mean anything, they can pile up, pile up, and the next thing we know, we're on a path to destruction. So, this is what spiritual warfare is you know, it's the internal struggle, it's the recognizing of the temptations and the influences that are in the world. We recognize it, we see it. Now, what do we do about it? Well, that brings me to my next point preparation. We have to be prepared for spiritual warfare. Just like that soldier I was talking about earlier. He can't just get up one day, run out into the battlefield, and be successful. If he doesn't prepare himself, he is going to fall. Every day when a soldier knows he's going to have to go outside and he's going to have to possibly face the enemy, he gets up, he puts his clothes on, he laces up his boots, then he goes and he grabs his equipment. He goes through, he checks and makes sure everything's like it's supposed to be. He makes sure all of his equipment is stowed properly. He's got his first aid kit. He's got, you know, his night vision. He's got his weapon. He makes sure it's clean. He makes sure he's got his ammo. He makes sure everything functions properly. Then he puts it on. Then he goes to his leader and he has his leader check it to make sure he didn't forget anything, you know. And then he's looking at his uh, buddy to the left and right, make sure they're ready to go. Because he knows he's going to have to count on them. And then they go outside. And then they face the enemy. If that soldier forgets something, he's going to be in trouble. Even if he does everything right for being prepared with his armor and his defenses, but if he forgets his weapon, he might not be getting shot right away, but he's going to be a sitting duck, and he's not going to be able to do anything to stop the enemy. He can bring his weapon, but if he doesn't bring his defenses, his armor, he's going to be exposed to the enemy's fire. And if he's wounded, he's taken out of the fight. These are things we've got to think about, because this correlates right into spiritual warfare as well. So what do we use uh, for spiritual warfare? We have the armor of God. Romans thirteen twelve through 14. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Make no provision. That means don't make any excuses for any of those sins that you really like. Oh, I'm just going to watch this one rated R movie. I know it's got some nudity or something, but that's no big deal. It's just one scene, you know, and then that's the guy who gets hooked on pornography. Or I'm going to just have this one drink. Or I'm just going to smoke this one uh, marijuana joint. Or I'm just going to make this one compromise. It's saying, put on the armor of God and leave no room. Because in body armor, if there's a hole, that's a weakness. That's where something can get in and strike you and wound you. So what is the armor of God? Well, Ephesians 6 goes into more detail about that. So it says, starting at verse 13. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And I don't know about you, but things out there look pretty evil to me. I believe we're in the evil day. Amen. That's right. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. All right. So the first thing we know that is part of our armor against the enemy is truth. Well, why is truth important? Why does truth matter? It matters because we're told constantly that there's no such thing as truth. We're told that there's so many ways to go to God. You go your way, I'll go my way. What's good for you is wrong for me. What's right for me is wrong for you. Everybody's okay. Nothing's really true. Everything's subjective. Everything's all right. Well, we know that God has revealed truth to us in his word. We know what is true and what is false. And the enemy since the very beginning with Eve has been trying to take that truth and compromise it and say, no, it's not exactly that. And he uses part of the truth, but he uses that lie as well to get in there, to make us doubt. Because that truth is like a foundation that we're standing on. If it gets wobbly, we're going to fall. But if we know that the truth that we know is the truth that we know because God has said it, then we have a firm foundation. And when we hear people telling us that, no, what we really think isn't true, we were close, but we're kind of off, or that, you know, everybody's going to heaven no matter what they do. It doesn't matter if they're not this religion or that religion. We will not fall for that deceit. We will not fall for those doubts and those questions because we know the truth. That's why it's so important. The next piece, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Philippians um, chapter 1 Verse twenty-seven: Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God, for to you it has been granted for the Christ's sake. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That is the righteousness. We can't do that in ourselves. We do that through Christ Jesus who lives in us. And why is that righteousness important? Because like I said, if you are living in a non-righteous way, you are exposing yourself to the wounds and the fiery darts of the enemy. Not only that... But you're compromising what somebody else is seeing. Because they look to you because you told them you're a Christian. You told them you knew the truth. So they want to see what you're doing. You're not having that righteousness. They think, okay, well, you know, maybe their truth isn't as true as they say. Because they're not living up to what they say. You know, this reminds me of um, of the events of Black Hawk Down. When our soldiers were in Somalia. You see, many of those soldiers didn't want to carry their um, bulletproof plates in their body armor because those things are really heavy and it's really hot in Somalia. And they figured, you know, I'm not going to be running away from the enemy. I'm going to be going right at them. I got my own wisdom here. I know better than the guys in charge me. And so they took out the plates from the back part of their vests, only had the front. And they thought they were doing a smart thing because they were going to be lighter. But what happened is the enemy who was fighting against them would flank around behind them And shoot them in the back. And because they didn't have the protection, they were going down. It is the same way with the breastplate of righteousness. If we don't strive to maintain that righteousness, all we're doing is opening up ourselves for a sneak attack from behind by the enemy. Amen? All right. So next what we have is having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, what does that mean? The preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, that means studying the word, preparing the word. And then we're going to find out why studying it and preparing it is so important in just a minute. But you have to know the word and do that. You have to read the word. You have to put that good stuff in. You put the things of God inside because it is going to protect you from the things of the enemy trying to get in there. And then we have the shield of faith which will keep you uh, and extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That faith we have is faith in the truth, faith in God, faith in our salvation, faith in all these things of our armor that we can rely on. And that faith is going to let us know that when the enemy comes and tries to put doubts into our minds and tries to say, no, you're wrong about this, or no, you're really missing it here. You're not as saved as you think you are. We can have faith in knowing that God has the victory and that he has saved us. That faith is going to keep us whole. That faith will protect us from those lies and deceit of the enemy. And then next we have the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, I mean, I think of this uh, with real armor. You know, you have your head, which is a little bit more important than the rest of your body. Because if I get shot in my arm, you know, I could probably still fight. You know, if I... um, get wounded in my stomach from shrapnel or something, I can probably still run away, you know. Even if I lose my leg but my arms are okay, I can crawl away and find protection. If you get wounded in your head, that's it. That's game over because it controls everything else in your body. If you don't have that salvation, nothing else matters. You're not going to heaven because that is what is taking you to God. Salvation through Jesus Christ is the only hope. And then lastly, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, every other aspect of this is defensive. And defensive is good because it's protecting you. And we need protection. But you never win a battle with defense. You never win a game with defense. You can think of it in sports. If the Patriots never get a touchdown, they're not going to win the game. They can have the best defense in the history of the NFL. They can't win without making at least one touchdown. It's just not going to happen. If we don't take the fight to the enemy, if we don't advance and attack, we're not going to have victory in our lives. We're not going to have victory in our spiritual warfare. So what's our weapon? The Word of God. And just like I was telling you, with the preparation of the gospel, you got to put it in. And once it's in, you can take it out. And when the enemy comes at you, and he comes at you with his doubt and with his temptation, you can speak God's Word to him. And that is going to defeat the enemy and his attacks against you. Amen? That is why God has his word for us. So that we can stand on it, know it's true, and defeat the enemy. Because we don't have the wisdom in ourselves. We don't have the strength in ourselves. We're corrupted from birth. We're not going to be able to defeat the enemy. Only God's word and God himself has the power to overcome the evil one. So do we have any other weapons to fight him? Well, we have prayer, and we have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now, I can tell you, prayer is essential in spiritual warfare. You're going to have to bring it to God. You're going to have to pray to God and stand on his word and bring it to him. He knows what we're going through, but he still wants us to come and ask. He still wants us to come talk to him about it. We have to pray. And I think about the prayer nights that we have um, just started at the church on Thursday nights and Thursday uh, mornings. I think about the potential that is there. Imagine believers coming together together. In prayer, praying for this church, praying for each other, praying to overcome the enemy. You know, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And the Bible also says that when two or more gather together in prayer, Christ is there. All right? If you are facing something and you're not having a breakthrough, maybe it's prayer. Maybe you're not having effective prayers. Or maybe it's that you haven't gone to fellow believers. Maybe God's heard your prayers. And he said, well... I need you to go to your fellow believers and pray with them so that you can have victory. Amen? And then we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the most effective tools God has given us. Because the Holy Spirit is a gift that will let us see things that aren't obvious. He will speak to us and he will also allow us to pray to God when we don't know what to pray. Because that's the problem sometimes, right? It's not that we're not praying. I'm praying, God, but I don't know if I'm praying the right thing. If we have the Holy Spirit, then God is going to tell us what to pray through his Spirit. And then finally, one of the things we have to prepare ourselves, and I've already touched on this a little bit, is each other, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I call it battle buddies because that's what we call it in the army. Everybody has a battle buddy because... If you have a battle buddy, you have somebody looking out for you. You know, if you're out there on your own and you get hurt, well, then you're done. But if you got somebody looking out for you, then you got somebody who's going to help you and take care of you. In Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage each other. Witness to each other. Let each other know, hey, I went through something like that and God gave me victory and he'll give you victory too. I mean, that is an amazing thing, testimony. By testimony, we overcome much, okay? Praying with someone, even if it's just letting them know that you care about what they're going through too and that they're not going through it alone. That is going to be an amazing thing. So many people, I bet you even people here today, feel like they're fighting a battle all by themselves and they're fighting in a whole army that they just can't overcome. And all you have to do is go to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you something else. You know, every Sunday we open up the altars here. And every Sunday we say, come forth in prayer. And I understand that a lot of people sit at their pews and pray, and it's more comfortable. And that's great. It is. But if you come to the altar, you're going to have a brother or sister waiting there for you to pray with you. And you're not going to be alone. It's going to be a battle that somebody's going to come alongside of you with. I mean, that's exciting to me to know that I don't have to be alone. Amen? All right, so finally... We come to persevere. So we recognize that there's spiritual warfare. We prepare for it and we persevere. So what does the Bible say? It says in 2 Timothy 2:3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. First Corinthians 16:13. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Hebrews 12:4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. as he saying right there, you haven't given everything in persevering. You can still push on a little bit longer. You haven't reached the point of no return. It's going to get hard, but you can still take another step. And sometimes it's all God is asking us to do. And you look at Joshua. what Joshua says. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you're not in it alone. Persevere because you know God is going to bring you through. God is going to strengthen you. All right? So I want to close in prayer. But first I want everybody to bow your heads. And I'm going to have Tim come ahead forward, if you will. And I want the prayer team to come forward. And if you are here today. And you have never had that first victory. If you have never asked Jesus into your heart. To be your savior. If you have never become a believer in Christ. And had a victory over the devil. You can have that here today. If you want to. You can come forward to the altars. And somebody can pray with you. If not. I would encourage you to say this prayer where you're at. Dear Lord, I know I am a sinner and I am condemned. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I now trust you to save me and repent of my sins. I put my faith in you to take me to heaven when I die. Amen. It's as simple as that. Now, some of you who are saved, you may have something in your life That you have been dealing with and trying to go against and you haven't been able to overcome it. You know, back in uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. It's talking about strongholds. The devil builds strongholds in our lives. For some, it might be addiction. For some, it might be unforgiveness. But he builds strongholds that we just can't break down. And we've tried and we've tried and we've tried. The thing about warfare is sometimes you have fast warfare. You you know, back in uh, World War II, they called Blitzkrieg. You know, they had these lightning strikes. The planes would come in, the bombs, the tanks, and it'd be really quick, one and done, bam, and they would defeat their enemies really quick. And sometimes you're going to experience victory like that in your spiritual walk. You're going to pray to God, and your prayer is going to get answered. You know, you're going to ask for God for a need, and that need's going to be met. But there's another kind of warfare other than that fast warfare. In medieval times, they called it siege warfare, where people would have these fortresses, just like the Bible's talking about, these strongholds, these castles, these places that were not easily defeated. And these armies would camp around them for months, literally months, and just try and wait them out. And just through the course of time, they would run out of supplies they would run out of food. And that is how they would get their victory. If you have strongholds in your life, you might have to wait months. You might have to wait years. It might be a siege warfare, but don't give up. Just like our word from God today, he is calling us to persevere. He is calling us to continuously pray, continuously stand on his word, and overcome. That's the only way we're going to do it. We can't, there's no shortcuts. You know, God has his plan for us. He's going to have the victory. We can't figure out the way, you know, there's no helping God help us. I've tried it. It doesn't work. He's smarter than me. Okay? So if you have a stronghold in your life that you just haven't broken through yet, and you just need some help, somebody to pray with you, I would encourage you to come forward as well right now. And come pray with us, and we'll pray with you. And we will stand with you in overcoming this stronghold. And so now I'm going to pray in closing a prayer over everyone. And if you want to pray in the seats, you can pray in the seats. If you want to come forward, we'll pray with you. And if you're ready to go, you're dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you right now because you are mighty and powerful. And in you, we can have all victories. In you, we can have defeat over the enemy, the enemy defeated. On you, we can have overcoming fortresses. We can have breakthroughs like we've never seen before if we stand on you. And I ask you that you would pour out into these people's lives this desire to persevere, to keep going until they get to you, to break through the enemy's walls, to keep fighting until the day is done. And go with them wherever they are so they'll be strengthened and protected from the enemy. I praise you and thank you in your holy name. Amen.